everybody, you are listening to the Church Theology Podcast, a podcast on the church for the church. My name is Kirk Miller, here with Dan Allen. Yep. And we are continuing our series on how to read the Bible. Uh, We began in the last episode by talking about uh, the point on the faithful path path of interpretation that we have labeled 2B. So one is making observations of the passage. Point two on that path, 2A that is on the path, is seeing what the claim of the passage is in its original setting, its original uh, to its original audience and original context. And 2B is then seeing how that claim how the, the meaning of the passage fits into the bigger story of Scripture centered on Christ. So that's where we're really focusing mm-hmm. right now. We talked about the convictions behind that, why we want to, why we feel that we need to read Scripture mm-hmm. that way in light of Christ based on the con- theological convictions and what Scripture tells us about itself. Mm-hmm. But now in order to read Scripture in light of Christ, in light of the big story, we obviously have to know what that big story is. We talked mm-hmm. a little bit about the idea of the concept of kingdom being yep, a good way, yep. a good category, um, a good theme for thinking yep. about the storyline of scripture. But the kingdom kingdom itself is not the story. We obviously yep, yep. have to ask, well, well, how does that story about the kingdom work its way out? What does that look like? And yep. so we want to just take some time here to uh, try to flesh out that for you. Um, yep. there, there's obviously going to be so much that could be said on yeah, this. Oh, there yeah. are libraries of books yep. that are dedicated to this topic. We're going to stay really high level, yeah. basic kind of introduction to these things. Yeah, that's right. We'll, we'll walk through it um, using a pneumatic device, the ABCs, uh, but we'll go to the letter I. So you may call them the ABIs of the kingdom. All of them will have the idea of kingdom, which remember last time we said, uh, according to Graham Goldsworthy, he sums it up uh, in a helpful way, that God's kingdom is when God's people are in God's place under God's rule. And anytime you have God's people in God's place under God's rule, they are experiencing God's blessing. And what's the greatest blessing of all? God's presence, fellowship with God, right? And so um, we actually see that displayed beautifully in the first two chapters of the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and leading into uh, chapter 3 as well. There we see the A, amazing kingdom. It is God's people who are Adam and Eve. In God's place, which is the Garden of Eden, under God's rule, God had given good commands to his people, uh, and they're experiencing God's blessing. What's the greatest blessing of all? Is being with God. There we read in Genesis chapter 3, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. They have fellowship with God. And there we see it right there uh, in the opening chapter. Uh, God created the universe and created the earth and filled it, filled it with water and plants and animals. And he created a people. And he placed these this people, Adam and Eve, in a garden. Now, we don't want to think about like a backyard garden. You know, I got a big garden in my backyard. Like a bunch of like, yeah, here's an eight by five foot section that, that yeah. you have to live. Uh, this is this is like a grand, like major, you might think of a, a big amusement park or something. It's big. Disneyland. It's, this is a big garden that's lush. It's beautiful. God says you you may eat of any fruit from the, the tree in this garden, except you may not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And those were good commands, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and that's really not about like there's nothing inherently wrong, like necessarily it's not at least spelling out something wrong with the fruit itself, but this is about God's authority mm-hmm. as well, right? It's sort of like um, when you know you tell your child, um, you know, don't touch this on the counter, 
Now, there, there might be some negative effects for them if they touch it or something like that, or there might not be. But that's not really like the issue on its own. It's also like whether or not the child is going to listen to me, yeah. right? Who has the authority here? So God gives good commands and God's good. And he's making it good for Adam and Eve. Yeah, the word good is emphasized many times in yeah, the that passage. Right. And so um, the brokenness that we're eventually going to see is an intrusion. Sin and evil yeah, is an intrusion right. into the garden, into God's good world. Um, and so this part of scripture, again, what you've labeled here, A, the amazing kingdom, is mm-hmm. really the blueprint for how God's That's creation right. is supposed to be. When we look at this section, we see things as they were intended That's to right. be. Um, obviously, there's still work to be done. Like he's giving, mm-hmm. he's commissioning Adam and Eve to to take dominion and to be fruitful and multiply. Um, mm-hmm. So he has a role to play, and yet, nonetheless, this is what this is what humanity in the world was supposed to be like. Yeah. And so, when we get to um, the fall and the disobedience of humanity, we'll be able to look back. And Scripture mm-hmm. does this; it'll mm-hmm. be able to look back at creation that's and right. say, "That's what it was supposed to be like." Yeah. There's no going back to that. But when we go forward, it's going to be to the restoration mm-hmm. of those mm-hmm. things, of God's people in God's place, experiencing his presence under his rule. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And verse 28 of chapter 1 says, uh, And God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And you, you give that idea of blueprint. It's There we even see that work itself is good. Mm-hmm. Like Adam and Eve lived in the garden, and they were to work it. They were to, to have dominion over it, subdue it, and they were to have children and fill the earth, be fruitful. Other image bearers who carry on the task That's right. as well. So yeah. not just a task to Adam and Eve, but all humanity and all their offspring carry on this That's story. right. Yeah. And then verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was now we are said, it was said to be very good. Yeah. Not and just it, good now, but that's now right. very good. Yep. yep. And it was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. And then what happened? God rested. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work he had done. So this indeed is the amazing kingdom. God's people, Adam and Eve, living in God's place, the Garden of Eden, under God's good rules, uh, mostly positive rules and one prohibition, and therefore they're experiencing God's blessing. But as you know, the, the story of Scripture, it doesn't go very far before we have some tension in the air because yeah. we get to the letter B and it is the broken kingdom. So there we are in the garden in chapter 3. Satan enters into the garden in the form of a snake or serpent, I should say. And uh, he tempts Adam and Eve. And what's the temptation? But to reject the rule of God. Who actually is in authority? Adam and Eve? Or is it God? And the whole temptation is around who are who is the king here? Mm-hmm. Whose kingdom is this? And do you believe that God actually intends for your good? So yeah, that's right. The serpent deceives her uh, by questioning God's goodness. That's right. Yeah, that he actually that his law is actually good for them, that he actually has their interests in mind. That's right. So now thinking in the amazing kingdom, everything was good. All relationships were good between Adam and Eve. uh, It was good, right? Naked and unashamed between God and man. It was good. God walking in the cool of the day, even with man and the earth, it was good. Mm -hmm. They could work the ground and be fruitful and multiply. But once they took the deception of 
uh, Satan, and they bit into that apple, and their eyes were open to well, no we good know and evil. An apple. Well, yeah, yeah. Did I say that? Yeah, the fruit. Sorry. Thank you. Good clarification. <laughs> it's glad. I'm pretty sure yeah. I should have done that. It's just like this subconscious thing that happens. Um, their their eyes are open to no good and evil, and what happens? All of those relationships are suddenly destroyed. Yeah. Right? They're totally broken between God and man. What happens? They go off hiding. They're hiding away from God because mm-hmm. God's walking in the, in the garden in the cool of the day. Um, what happens between Adam and Eve? Suddenly now they're blaming one another, right? God says, did you eat? Well, it's the woman that you, you put here with me. She's the one that made me eat. Yeah. And then she says, well, what did you do? Well, it's the serpent. He, he's the one that, you know, there's suddenly there's, there's a divide a between game, them. Yeah. Yep. And what else? Um, but the relationship with the earth is also now broken. Yep. It's by the, the sweat of your brow that you shall eat. So everything is now destroyed. Everything's broken. And what they realize, too, is that there is absolutely no going back. It's not the same, and they can't go back. And one of the stories uh, that I've thought about when I've thought about this is, um, I think you've heard this one. Well, I know you've heard this one. Sorry, you got to listen to the same illustration here. Yeah. So um, my wife grew up um, going up north where her grandparents lived, up near the UP, Upper Michigan. Uh, We're in Wisconsin, obviously. And she would drive up there. Her grandparents lived up there for a good portion of her life. And there's, you know, there's just something nostalgic about some of the parks that she would go to and the things that she could kind of do out there, you know, in the wilderness and whatever, right? Um, eventually, her grandpa had gotten sick and uh, her grandpa and grandma had moved down um, down south here on the southern Wisconsin to be by the family and receive help and such like that. And we had stopped, you know, I had married in the family and such, and we had stopped going up north for a number of years. Her grandpa had died and we just, there was no reason to go up north so much. Well, we, there was kind of a family idea to, to do like sort of a, not a reunion per se, but just like, let's all go up and, and look at the the old house and go to the park and go to the some of the restaurants or or whatever, right? Kind of relive uh, the moment a little. And there was also like a park bench being dedicated to, to um, her grandpa. So we went up there and uh my wife and I we were we were driving over to um the park that was right down the road from where my grandparents or her grandparents uh lived, right? And she, my my wife spent a lot of time at the park. So we're driving over to the park where we're going to meet some people and it's the morning and I'm I'm kind of talking about the day cuz I'm kind of excited about who we're going to see or what we're going to do and we're going to do this or that and and not you know I'm not really paying attention that my wife's not really interacting with me. She's, we're driving down the road and um all of a sudden we we get to the park, we pull in and we're looking at the park and I'm still talking about, Oh, we're going to do this or that. Cause I mean, they would, the, the, the community would come and they would have like really good pies and such like that. Like <laughs> that I'm looking forward to buying, you know? Um, so anyhow, we pull in and I look over my wife and she's, she's bawling. She's, she can't hold it together anymore. And I was like, What's wrong? Like, like this We're is gonna have pie. this is gonna be yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> and the only thing she said was, "It's just not the same. It's just not the same." And what was she saying in that moment? It's like, well, it's actually the exact, it's exactly the same. Nothing's changed here, right? Yeah. It's the exact same. But what was she saying? No, the experience is not the same anymore. I can't go back anymore either. Yeah, it's done. It's done. And I can't have these moments back. And I want to. And I think at the end of chapter three, you experience some of the saddest words in the whole Bible. At the end of chapter three of Genesis, we read in verse 23 that therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden. 
He, he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. This is God's place where they lived with God to work the ground from which he was taken. There he tells it again, verse 24. He drove out the man. And in case man and woman wants to try to get back in, at the east of the Garden of Eden, God placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That's horrifying. Mm-hmm. What started out so amazing was broken and they can never go back. They're kicked out of the garden for good. So if you look at those those elements that we, we can kind of think of these as the elements that make up the kingdom, right? God's yeah. people in God's place um, under his rule, experiencing yeah. his presence. So God's people are no longer the people they're meant to be. Right. They were created yep. to bear his image. So yep. this idea of like reflecting who he is, to yep. image him to creation by having dominion just as he uh, not in the exact same way, obviously, but as his representative rulers over his creation, just as God is ruler. Yeah. They fail to live that out. They they were created to worship and serve him, and now they're not. They're disobedient. Mm-hmm. And as we learn later, especially about like what Paul says in Romans 5, they're not just acting sinfully, but now they themselves become sinful. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually they're going to die. Like That's yeah. part of the yeah. curse is that they die. So God's people that he created them to be, yeah. he did not create them to die. Now God's the people that God has created are corrupted by mm-hmm, sin mm-hmm. and death. It's not the way it's supposed to be. The people right. aren't the way they're supposed to be. The place is no longer intact, that they've been expelled from yep. the garden. Yep. So God, God's intention for his people to be in his place, that's no longer intact. Yep. His presence, now there's a barrier between God and humanity. Mm-hmm. We learn that especially mm-hmm. later when we get to the tabernacle and temple, that God can't just dwell among an yeah. unholy yeah. people. So now we, that's a reality already, like God's ability to just dwell among his people yeah. with peace between a holy God and sinful people. And they're, of course, not living under his rule. Right. We're going to see that in the very next narrative where you yeah. know their, their descendants, Cain and Abel, Cain kills Abel. Mm-hmm. We see that mm-hmm. go on in the rest of the story if yeah. we were to get into all the details, yeah. how they continue in sin. Yeah. And so the that's kingdom right. is broken. Yeah. We had the amazing king there, kingdom. We saw the pattern as things were meant to be. But now that yeah. pattern is lost. Yeah, it's destroyed. It's broken. Yeah, and and a whole host of other things are introduced: death, disease. Um, like, I mean, you think the ideas of depression mm-hmm. and everything, everything that we experience in this world that's broken, mm-hmm. it goes right back. Because before that, it was said to be very good. Yeah, and so that's everything right. that is not very good, that's where it enters in. Right. That's here. right. Yeah. So it's a very, very, very dark day, but there is a little bit of spark of light here. Yep. So there's a couple places to look at. Um, God had said, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. Now, they didn't physically die. They will physically die. But on Mm -hmm. this day, they did not physically die. But there was death on that day. So we see a little bit of a, of a picture in verse 21. The Lord, because remember, they had they had made uh, covered themselves with leaves yep. to cover the, up their nakedness. Verse 21 of chapter 3 says that the Lord God made for Adam and Eve and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Garments of skins, which, which means we have animals dying to receive death. Receiving the judgment of uh, Adam and Eve that they should they should have died on that day. Uh, now, this is not the whole picture, but just a small picture mm-hmm. of of what's to come because death has to be uh, or, or sin has to be dealt with, and the penalty for sin is death. Uh, we also get another picture in, in chapter three, verse fifteen. This is what's known as the proto evangelium, mm-hmm. or uh, evangelium being gospel or good news, and proto being the first. Mm-hmm. The first gospel, the first, first introduction of this promise. Yeah, eventually, 
reach its fulfillment in the gospel. Yeah, that's right. And it also comes in the, or it actually comes in the form of judgment on the serpent. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's spoken to the woman. I will put enmity between you and the woman, or it's spoken to the, to the serpent, I'm sorry, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Or some have called it, it's the serpent crusher. God is going to bring through a, a woman, the seed of the woman, a, the serpent crusher, the one who will crush the serpent's head. Now, yeah. in the process, as he crushes the head of the serpent, his heel will be, um, what's it say? You will bruise his heel. So here we have just a small picture of light on this dark, dark day. I, I, I remember I, we used to live in Chicago and we used to live or uh, run along the lake. Uh, in the morning, and I would run with my my friend down there, and uh, we would run real early in the morning before the sun would come up. And so we'd be running, and especially my friend, like he loved this um, to be down there because you could see the sunrise. And if you've ever seen the sunrise over the lake, it, it's a, it's a beautiful sight when, especially when, you know, there's no clouds, and you can first you get uh, what do they call it nautical? I think that's nautical. Uh, su- sunrise. I have no idea. There's different sunrises. I just want to sound smart for a second, <laughs> <laughs> but it, I don't know what exactly they all mean. That sounds but just, nautical is like sea. Yeah, yeah, know, so. yeah. But anyways, the the sunrise. What you'll see, you see kind of like this haze start to come up. The the light starts to come, but you don't actually see the sun. And all of a sudden, it just pops right through, and you just see just a sliver of the sun. And it's such a beautiful sight. And that's I think that's what you get here a little bit, just a glimmer. Yeah. Now. It's going to be a long way off before the full thing is seen. We get a nice little picture. And in fact, I think Adam and Eve also believed this promise. Because verse 20 says, The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. It seems that she trusted the promise that she was going to actually be giving birth um, in in hopes that her child would crush the serpent. In fact, chapter four begins with these words. Now Adam and Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, what do we think was probably on her mind when she gave birth to this boy? Mm-hmm. This is the serpent crusher. Yeah. There's an anticipation that, you know, there's a seed that's gonna come from the woman. Mm-hmm. The idea mm-hmm. of like from their own line. Yeah. Who will come? Well, maybe this is the one then, mm-hmm. you know, and that from that moment on, there's that expectation That's that right. should be present. That's right. Yeah. But of course, like you mentioned, Cain. that's not, the, yeah. that's not the case. Yeah. And, <laughs> not so. Not and so. it actually gets worse. You realize that with Cain killing his brother, um, sin has actually just spread right from the parents right to the kids. Yep. Like you were hoping it would be fixed, but in fact, it's, it's, it's just, just multiplied. Maybe it's just going to be an isolated thing. Maybe just yeah. just Adam and Eve. Nope. Yeah. It actually, and we see with the account of the flood. That That's right. The evil yeah. intention of man's heart That's right. from his youth, it says. That's right. Chapter 6, verse 5. So that, And that that is talking about globally at that point. Yep. Um, All of humanity the Lord, is infected. Yeah, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every in every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Yeah. So this is, this is a very dark picture of of the globe, of what what a mankind was like. Of course, you know the story. God sends a flood, and at that point, as you're reading, you might wonder, like, okay, maybe that did it. It wipes out all the bad guys. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, there was Noah's called righteous. He he believed God, yeah. right? He yeah. was the one walking with God. This has got to do it. It's kind of like, I like to think of it this way. Like when I used to work 
corporate job and you'd have an IT problem, your computer would have some issue. You call IT. What's the first yeah. question they ask yeah, yeah. you? Well, did you try restarting it? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, God, did you try restarting it? This, <laughs> is, right. the, this right. is the cosmic the recreation. Reset That's right. Yeah, like, and, and the flood account is presented as a as a as something of a creation. Yeah. Where again, the creation goes back to its waterly formless yeah. state that we saw yeah, in chapter point. one. And so, um, and so there's, a, there's kind of this expectation, well, maybe... Maybe if we just sort of clear the air, yep. maybe if we yep. just sort of clear out the environment, we get rid of all the bad, all the bad people. That's but right. But then we find out with, in the case of Noah, as he sins immediately after right. the flood. There's yeah. Some pretty crazy stuff going on there. Yeah. The, the, the sin, in other words, the problem isn't simply the environment, but it's also. Yeah, it's, it's deeper us. than that. It's That's us. right. It goes inside. And so that, that That's refrain right. about it. About every intention of 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 their heart being evil only continually. That's repeated mm-hmm. after the yeah. flood as well. Yeah, that's right. The problem yeah. remains. And so, yeah, and, and you remember when God, uh, Noah comes off the the ark, the first words God gives to Noah, it's doing exactly what you're saying. God blessed Noah and his and his sons and said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." Yeah. It's the very same command that God had given to Adam and Eve. It's yep. it's this reset button. Um, but like you said, that he gets drunk. Uh, falls asleep naked, and it ends up having one of his sons cursed yep. uh, because of this. So suddenly you realize, oh man, this is not that. That's that's not going to do it. And the story keeps moving forward, and you get to this place uh, where in uh, chapter eleven, as the people are gathered together, they want to uh, to build a, a place. Uh, what is, a what name does it for say? themselves yes. and a tower. Verse four. Heaven. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead and read that. Verse 4, 11. It said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into heaven, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. So the very thing, so they're trying to, humanity is kind of pooling, sinful, rebellious humanity is pooling their resources together in opposition to God. God has told them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He's kind of recommissioned them the way that Adam was, what humanity was supposed to do from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And humanity has decided to do the exact Exact opposite. opposite. And so Babel becomes the symbol of sort of humanity when it uh, in sort of a, like you might think of it like a systemic evil pulling itself together to oppose God. And Babel eventually becomes Babylon and becomes a symbol that's even picked up in the book of Revelation to kind of depict the system of humanity in opposition to God. Yeah, that's right. And so it's just, it hasn't gotten better. The problem you can, the problem that was in humanity uh, came through the flood and it, it's, it's still here on the other yeah, side. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So God's people are definitely not living as God's people. Yeah. <clears throat> they're not living in God's place. They're not living under God's rule and therefore they're not experiencing God's blessing. Yeah. The kingdom is still broken. Yes. We're going to need, in other words, that's not right. merely. Now God, he, he gives a covenant to, to Noah and uh, all of creation with him to, that he's committed to creation. Mm-hmm. He won't, mm-hmm. he's not ultimately going to destroy, but he's, he ha, he's not he's, with a flood, not with a flood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, that, the idea of expressing like, I'm, I am committed to my yeah. creation. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, there's, I'm going to be faithful to it, but we have to yeah. wonder how, yeah. like if that's what humanity deserved yeah. was this flood. And yet now the, the rainbow being sort of this bow of like, God holding himself a picture of like a like a like a like a military bow yeah. holding himself account um, to be faithful to his creation. Like, how is God going to be yeah. faithful to his creation if they deserve to be destroyed? Yeah. yeah. And so we're going to need something more than a reset button. We're actually yeah. going to need redemption. That's right. Which brings us, unless I'm getting ahead, no, that that's exactly right. Next, that's right. Now brings us to our next now section. The author is going to zero in on how God is going to bring that redemption. Uh, it's going to focus on through a man named Abram. This brings us then to the letter C, 
the covenants of the kingdom. You mentioned there's there was a covenant in the the previous section the with the whole earth, but now we're going to get uh, to a couple covenants that uh, how is God going to bring about this plan? Uh, this is this promise that God gives to this man uh, from Ur of the Chaldeans, and He brings him into this uh, new land, uh, beginning in verse. 1 of chapter 12, uh, we read about the Abrahamic covenant as it's introduced. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. There we have God's place. Mm-hmm. And I will make of you a great nation. I'll make of you a people. Mm-hmm. Right? And I will bless you and make your name great. That's interesting because the people of Babel said, well, let's make our name great. Yep. God says, no, I will make Abram's name great. Yep. Right? Um, I will bless you. I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And on him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Experiencing God's blessing. Yep. Right? So there again, you have the components of the kingdom right there in the promise. But now instead of a command... They are issued in forth as a promise. That's right. That's right. Um, and now what the author then does is narrow the focus. Remember, we're, we're wanting Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 to happen, like that serpent crusher. And now he's going to narrow the story. It's going to come somehow through this man's lineage. He doesn't bring it up, but as the reader, we should, we should have that in the back of our mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to be through this seed uh, somehow through Abraham. This offspring here. Yeah, yep. that God brings this redemption. Um, now, what happens, though, is one thing is going to become very clear uh, is that if this covenant is to be fulfilled, it is not, I repeat, not going to be based on Abram. Yeah, you only not go going to be based on his works and his performance. That's right. Yeah. Because you go two paragraphs forward, and what happens? Abram gives away his wife. Now, how is he going to be a great nation? He has no kids if he gives away his wife. Mm-hmm. That's going to be kind of hard, right? Yeah. So it's definitely not going to depend on him. God is going to have to do um, something. He's going to be the one that has to step in. And one thing becomes very clear uh, along with that. Not only um, is the fulfillment of the covenant going to be happening only because of God, but also where is Abraham going to find his righteousness before God? This is chapter 15. The covenant gets repeated once again. Uh, Abraham goes outside. God tells him to count the stars. Uh, this is how many offspring you're going to have. Verse 5, he brought him outside and said to him, look toward heaven, number the stars, if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And here we read, and he believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. I love that that line is so early in our Bible, mm-hmm. that if man is going to be made right with God, it's not going to be on what we do. It's going to be based on our trusting in yeah. God. And that that's important because later when we get, getting a little bit ahead, but when we get to the covenant of the law and stuff, you have to realize that all along it has always been by faith yeah. in the promises. Even when we get the highlight of man's inability to keep God's law, that fits into this into the message that it's always been by faith. Abraham here is believing in the redemptive promises yeah, yeah. of God and is and is thus saved through that faith. That's right. So as we just try to keep moving forward, we get to chapter 17. God once again uh, 
repeats the covenant to Abraham. Uh, they're saying that not only as, as many as the stars in the sky, but also the sand on the seashore. That that That's how much offspring you will have. Mm-hmm. So the promise of God's people in yep. God's place. That's the right. land here, we should say too, is is to be something of a new garden of Eden then, just yeah. as the land yeah, was lost in, in uh, Genesis 3. Now he's promising a people, he's promising a place. We should hear that in light of the broader story of Genesis. It's yeah. okay, God is... God is he, he commissioned this to Adam, and, and, and humanity failed. Well, now God is going to do it on behalf of his yeah. people for them. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, and then in chapter 22, he repeats the covenant once again. Um, and then as you as the story keeps unfolding in Genesis, you start following then who the promise is going through. Because Abraham has two, two sons. One is Ishmael. He's not the one who the promise goes through. It goes through Isaac. Mm-hmm. Then Isaac has two sons. Esau is the oldest, and you would think it, the promise is going to go to him. No, it goes to uh, Jacob, mm-hmm. right? And then Jacob has 12 sons, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And you would think it would go to Reuben, the firstborn. No, it doesn't go to him. Then maybe Simeon. No, it doesn't go to him. Maybe Levi. No, it doesn't go to him. No, it goes to the, the fourth son, to Judah, the one who slept with his do- uh, son's wife. Yeah. I mean, in and suddenly you just you, you one you're like wow this is this is totally going unexpected like God is doing things his own ways he's defining and choosing who who this line is going to be coming through and who the promise who gets to experience the promise, um, but then uh, second like we realize that those genealogies are very important as we read because again we're looking for that serpent crusher from Genesis three fifteen and we're trying to trace that and so those genealogies actually are not just things that we just not brush, throwaways yeah. yeah. But they actually have uh, extreme meaning in the text, and and also with the element of the of of the promise going down that particular lineage of Abraham, um, we should also mention there's this whole big thing about how Abraham and Sarah are childless. Yeah, and that's yeah. not just when God actually answers that for them in their old age. Um, that's not merely oh, isn't that nice that God supplied them a kid when they really wanted a kid? Like certainly that's true. Um, but that's we have to understand that narrative in in light of this promise that God's plan of redemption will come through offspring. Yeah, that there yeah. that there's a, this offspring promise that goes back to Genesis three, right, as we right, said. Good point. And so when God actually when they try to do it their own way, when when Abraham and Sarah try to mm-hmm. do it their own way, and uh, he Sarah gives him um, Hagar and he has Ishmael, mm-hmm. that sort of that becomes exemplary of humanity's efforts mm-hmm. to sort of achieve the kingdom their own way. And God says, no, that's not how this is going to be done. It's going to be by promise. It's not going to be by works. It's Mm -hmm. not going to be by Mm -hmm. your achievement, but it's going to be by faith in my promise. And he supplies uh, his child miraculously through Isaac. And whenever God does things in the, therefore in those unexpected ways, it's meant to highlight that this kingdom happens by God's initiative, not Mm -hmm. ours. Mm -hmm. Amen. Eventually Jacob and his family end up in Egypt. Yeah, that's right. So Joseph, Uh, one of his sons through a, a whole course of events that we could get into, mm-hmm. he ends up, he sold into slavery by his brothers and they end mm-hmm. up in Egypt to escape this family. Yep. God blesses the world even already yep. through the offspring of Abraham, namely Joseph and what God is yep. doing there. And so they end up in Egypt, but there mm-hmm. comes a time, we read this in the book of yeah. Exodus, where a Pharaoh yeah. did not know Right. Uh, Joseph, and therefore uh, he starts oppressing Abraham's yeah. descendants. Yeah, and so Israel finds themselves in slavery. Right. Yeah. in Egypt. Yep, and so then God comes to a uh, a man Moses, and we read his birth narrative and such. But mo- just moving forward, uh, moving coming to Moses and saying that he's going to rescue his people out of Egypt. 
uh, and bring them into a new land, right? He's going to yep. take them to the promised land. He's going to fulfill um, the promise. He's going right. to make good now on the promises made to Abraham. That's right. Specifically in the Exodus account, it talks about uh, the two sort of the, some of the two reason, at least two of the reasons that God gives is that he hears the cry of his people mm-hmm. and he remembers his promises That's to right. Abraham. Yeah. So out of mercy and pity, but also out of faithfulness to his covenant. Yeah. And it's important to see that because we just want to make sure that like people are seeing that all these stories hold together. Yep. Like he's dipping back into that promise. It's not like these are just totally separate account, like stories. Yeah. yeah. It all has to do with this plan of redemption. And That's so right. now he shows up to uh to moses and he he Mm -hmm. tells moses to go and speak to pharaoh to let his people go and he says i'm going to harden pharaoh's heart so that he can basically so god can show off his power and show off his glory Mm -hmm. and make himself known not only to the israelites as a god who saves him but make himself known to the egyptians as a god who judges he sends a series of plagues um and eventually he delivers um israel out of that's right. out of bondage that's in right. Egypt. Yeah, and it's important to realize too. Like in Egypt, they actually had grown to the, a massive group of people. Yep. So, so now you have a, a massive nation. You have God's people. Yep. They're living in an, in a enslaved nation at that point. So that God's going to bring them out to a new place. Uh, Moses brings them out, but right before they actually enter into God's place, God is going to give them His rule. Right. So we have God's people on their way to God's place. And now God's going to give him his rule. That's that we see in Exodus 20. Yep. That's when Moses goes up to the mountain. Uh, Exodus 20. Um, I'll read read that. Uh, it's important to hear the order here. Um, in chapter 19, God recounts how he pulls, the, uh, goes and rescues the people out of slavery. In chapter 20, it says, God spoke all these words saying, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and I'm going to insert there, therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, it's important to see the order there. First, God reminding them, hey, I'm your God. I rescued out of the hand of slavery. And then he gives the Ten Commandments. It's Those commandments are coming out of relationship with God. They are God's people, and therefore, this is what it looks like to live as God's people, mm-hmm. right? God's people under God's rule, well, they have to know what God's rule is. What is God's commands for his people? And now he's going to unfold that for them. The Ten Commandments, but then we also have the, the law that's given through Moses yeah. of this is what it looks like to live. Now, we also have promises and curses of that. Like, if the people reject God's rule, they will experience God's curse. If they experience uh, obey God's rule, they will experience God's blessing. And we read about those, especially in Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26. Those are two very key pa- uh, chapters in the Bible um, because they'll become very important when we get to the prophets. But in there, we read about the promises of the covenant. If you obey God's rule, the the, uh, the women, their wounds will be fruitful. The land will be fruitful. You'll have rain and such. You'll have crops. Uh, the animals will have be fruitful. Um, life will be good. Enemies, you won't have enemies on every side. God will protect you. But if you reject God's rule, you're going to experience the curses. Now, it'll go through the curses like uh, the, the sky will become like, I think it says like iron. So it doesn't rain. The, the ground will be like bronze. So it won't produce any crops. Your animals won't won't be able to have uh, more or multiply. The, the wombs, I'll close the wombs of the women. I'll bring in nations from the outside to oppress you. I'll bring them in to eat your food. Uh, and eventually, the last curse in both of those chapters, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, in both of those, the final curse, because all of these curses are meant to bring the people to repentance. The final one is if you don't listen to that one, 
then I'm going to take you out of the land. Yeah. Right? So what you have is the blessings in many ways. Like the the this sometimes gets called the Mosaic Covenant. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you have, that's we, good because we're in the covenant. Yeah. So, the so now. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. So we've just to recap, we've had. The, the amazing kingdom, the broken kingdom. So A, B, C is the covenants of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. That's like we get, we were kind of highlighting that with Abraham and yep. such. Um, the Abraham covenant and then another mosaic. Yeah. Yep. And so the mosaic covenant then in many ways is formalizing the promises of the Abrahamic covenant in a very conditional form yep. for yep. a particular people, the nation of Israel, the this particular yep. set of uh, Abraham's offspring. And a couple of things we learned then is that um, this is all, all of these things that are aimed at the achievement, at the realization of God's kingdom. God's mm-hmm. people, he's mm-hmm. made a people for himself. They're going to, they're supposed to live as his people under his rule in his place. Yeah. We also get mention of the tabernacle here, which basically the, 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 the gist of that is that's a, there's a sac, there's sacrificial systems. Mm-hmm. The sacrificial system was sacrifice of animals meant to provide a means for a holy God to dwell among his people. Mm-hmm. So they also experience mm-hmm. God's presence. So yep. all of these yep. things are aiming at the kingdom, the, right. the reachievement of God's kingdom. It only happens, notice, because God delivers his people. Mm-hmm. So the Exodus mm-hmm. teaches us that we don't sort of work our way into this relationship with God. It wasn't that Moses showed up with the tablets in Egypt and said, hey, if you obey God, then you get to be his people. But mm-hmm. it was, I redeemed mm-hmm. you. Now you live in response to that redemption as God's mm-hmm. people. We also yeah. have the instance of the Passover where it teaches us that for God, for God's people to be his people, like redemption is going to have to be made. God's judgment will have to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now we have the situation painted for us where Israel is going to serve as a, a massive illustration across the entire Old Testament mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. whether we can obey God's law. Mm-hmm. If they disobey, the, the kingdom essentially is going to be uh, reversed and undone. Mm-hmm. They're eventually going to get expelled from the land, just like Adam and Eve were expelled from the yeah. land. Yeah. They're going to be noticed. They're going to experience the curses, yep. just like Adam and Eve. And in that moment in Genesis, there was the curses, right. same language. Otherwise, if they obey the blessing, they yep. experience yep. the kingdom. And of course, we'll find out they don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the tabernacle too, because in this, within the covenants, the Mosaic covenant, we're going to understand how the people are to relate with God. And so you get introduced, especially in this section, to the mediators between God and his people, right? And so uh, two of them in particular, uh, especially highlighted here, we have uh, the prophet, who in this case is Moses, especially Deuteronomy 18, claim, names him as a prophet. God will one day raise a prophet like him. A prophet is one who speaks God's words to God's people, right? They intercede. A mediator is one who's like a go-between, right? A prophet speaks God's words to God's people. That would be one mediator. Another mediator would be a priest. A priest is a go-between between the people of God and God because the priest intercedes for God in, in worship and sacrifice. And so this is how the people will get forgiveness. It's going through the priest to find forgiveness before God. The priest will sacrifice an animal and such. Um, and then later we'll be introduced to the third mediator, the, the major mediator, the, the king who governs God's people. Rules, God rules through him. That's right. Yeah. He's like the under king. God is the, the, the true king. He's like an under king. Like the governor, you That's right. Say. Yeah. 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 So that's how I see, yeah. Uh, the, the king governs God's people. Yeah. Um, so there, there we have it then. At this point, we have God's people who will be connected to Abraham. That's yep. who God's people are. Um, they're under the covenant. They Now we have God's rule. All right, right? We have the, the Mosaic the covenant. covenant. The law. Yep. And now we're... We just need a place. We need to be Heading get to, to place, God's place. Yeah. And that ends up in the next sh- section, uh, the letter D. 
Yeah. Well, at this point, we'll take a break. We'll break here, and we'll pick up that next time. So we've done A, B, C. That's so right. So we have D through I, and uh, we'll pick up that in our next episode. Right. 